This is the Happy Rant Sports Podcast, in which Ted Cluck and Barnabas Piper rant about old sports, new sports, sports books, sports movies, and anything else related to sports that they feel like. Enjoy. Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Sports Podcast. I'm Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friend, my partner in sports radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, it's been it's been a while since we've been in the studio together doing sports radio. Uh, this feels good. We both had like incredibly people heavy, people saturated weekends, and uh, we're recording this on a Monday morning. So, uh, sports talk is recuperative and redemptive and it pairs perfectly with redbud city coffee uh piper tell us about redbud coffee absolutely listeners if you go to redbudcoffee.com they are our coffee mogul partnership that we've been with for maybe a year and a half two years now uh it's redbud city coffee roasters is the name of it it's a I think they're based out of central Illinois, just a small town, but high quality coffee. They ship all over the country at reasonable prices. They do all sorts of single origin coffee roasts. Let's see what they've got in stock right now on their website. As we speak, they uh, they rotate out roasts because they're very creative. So they have an El Salvadorian one. Wow. They have an Ethiopian, a Brazilian one. That's my favorite. Uh, they have a Guatemalan, a Peruvian decaf, if mm. decaf is something you go for. And then they have an espresso roast. So wow. a whole variety. And then if you use the code HAPPYRANT at checkout, you get a 10% discount off of your entire order. They sell in bulk. So if this is something you wanted to use for your church or for your office, or if you just drink an enormous amount of coffee like I do, you can get that option as well. So again, redbudcoffee.com. Check out their different roasts. Um, use the code HAPPYRANT at checkout to get that 10% discount. You will not be disappointed in what they deliver. Dude, how long till we get to go to El Salvador like ourselves and inspect the coffee beans as a part of this coffee mogul experience? I, I think I would enjoy question. that. See, this is one of those coffee roasters that they're it's what I kind of have mixed feelings because they're delightfully not influencer. Yeah. And then they're disappointingly not influencers. So I don't see a lot of pictures of them sort of, you know, yeah. inspecting the coffee trees in the hills of El Salvador <laughs> or whatever. That's right. So I don't even know if they do that or if they just have, you know, really good, they just have really good, you know, people in these places who who take care of them. They're all about the coffee. They're just, they're dialed in. They're all about the process. And uh, yeah, I respect just- it. Good people doing coffee as opposed to good people trying to look like good people doing coffee. Yes, exactly. Dude, that's it. That's the distinction. And uh, I, for one, Piper, am glad we're partnering with this kind of coffee company. As much as I would love to go to El Salvador and walk along the hillside and and, uh, look at some coffee beans, doing it this way has its advantages. And speaking of the process... We're going to talk some some 76ers and some NBA a little bit later, but... uh, I have to share something with you that that happened this weekend that was kind of unique and that I'm still like very much physically hurting from. And that's the fact that I played football this weekend, like real football, uh, fully padded. Union does this thing. I, I teach at Union University for people who don't know that. And um, we do a thing called the Buster Bowl where one game a year, uh, student team versus student team, full contact, fully padded. Uh, we do a football game for homecoming. And our president launched this thing two years ago 
And he's like, what do you think of this? Like, just as an idea. And I'm like, I think it's insane. But if you do it, I'm in. And uh, <laughs> I was in. So two years ago, I coached a team and played. Uh, this year, I coached a team and played. And I got to suit up with my kid, with my son, Tristan, which was amazing. That was uh, just a great experience. He's a freshman at Union. Uh, so we got to be in the huddle together, on the field together, flying around, making plays together. Um, Does Union have a football team? We do not. No. We okay. we had one in like the 40s. And like our claim to fame is that Bear Bryant coached the football team for one year. Um, so like in his travels as a coach before he really got established at like Texas A&M and Alabama and the kind of the, the big high points of his career, uh, he did a year at Union coaching the football team, which is amazing. And uh, but no, we haven't had it since like the early fifties. And there, being that we're in the the South, though the Mid South, I mean, there's fascination with it. Our student body, a lot of them played football in high school or were fans or whatever. So what we get in this game is like, so we had thirty guys per team this year. So probably of those thirty, fifteen had played before and fifteen hadn't. So. Um, you get these guys who are raw and are brand new and kind of want to learn the game and then guys who had played before. So it's a really interesting like coaching experience where you want to keep it simple, but you want to like do enough that you can execute a game and, and put a good product on the field for the fans. And and weirdly, it's like the biggest fan thing that we have at Union. Like we we pack out a high school stadium for it and the cheerleaders come out and it's like a huge deal. So um yeah really really fun uh man i so i you know i played i played football through high school mm -hmm. and then didn't play at wheaton wheaton has a, a really good division three yeah. program and it would have been the kind of thing i think we've talked about this where i think i think i could have made the team and then my best shot would have been like maybe see the field by my senior year yeah. kind of thing yeah a bunch of i mean it's a it's a really good program and i didn't i didn't want to invest that much time in something that felt like i would just be a, a bench warmer for sure but that kind of game, I 100% would have gotten in on. That would have <laughs> totally. been so much fun. Yeah, it was. So, yeah, it was. Is this a. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it was made for like you. Like it was made for, yes. for that kind of kid who played in high school, loved it, loved the game, loved the experience, and, and just wants to play again, which is super cool. Um, is, is this like a low key. Is there enough energy at this school to start a real football team? I don't type know, thing? dude. Just, I don't know what the president's like. Uh, long range vision is for it. I think I'm sure he's thought about it. Like I, th I think every like school of a certain size in the South has probably thought about starting football. And I think he knows that doing football at a place like union would, I mean, it would be expensive. It would kind of change the culture of the, the school to some degree. And I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know where he's, where he's headed with it. You know, he's a really, He's a really great guy. Like our president, I I think the world of him and he's a really incredible guy and he's thoughtful and he's strategic. So like him doing something without a plan would kind of surprise me. But it's just, it's been a really like goodwill, bring people together on campus thing, which is really remarkable. And I want to get into like some of the spiritual implications of it for, for me, but kind of more broadly for everybody in the sense that and I, I'm going to lay a thing on you here, and I want to know if you if you can relate to this at all. Um, all right. Sports. I love sports. I, I especially love football. I've loved it my whole life. But there's a sense in which 
more often than not, it's brought out the worst in me. Like it brings out aspects of my character that I then feel guilty about afterward. And I think as I've grown in my relationship with the Lord over the last 20 years, I've noticed it more. And I've been more guilty about more things related to like the competitive dog. You know what I mean? Like the dog inside mm-hmm. that that it comes out in certain situations. And every time I play in or coach the Buster Bowl, like I spend a lot of time praying about it. And I spent more time praying about it this year. And I spent more of that prayer time praying about like, Lord, help my help my heart to be above reproach in this. You know what I mean? I don't want to do anything or say anything that I will then have to go home feeling guilty about later. And um, I don't know. It's It's been interesting to think about sports from that standpoint. And I have to tell you, like going into it with that frame of mind made it a much more joyful experience. And I was much more dialed into like, are these guys having fun? Is everybody... Is everybody having a good experience? You know what I mean? Because any any competitive moment can turn chippy or acrimonious or whatever. And uh, I just wanted people to have a great experience. And the Lord was really kind in that this year. And it was really like good vibes all around, even though guys were competitive and flying around. And it was real football. Uh, the vibes were really good. So I'm super grateful for that. But can you relate to that at all, like competitively, especially as you get older, like just wanting to do it in a certain way? Yeah. And I've been, I've been removed from competitive sports for a while, just mostly based on lack of opportunity, you know, not, not lack of desire. And so, but there is a part of me that is, is leery about everything from like, I'll jump into this, you know, church softball league to playing pickup basketball because because the range of experiences is what you just said. I mean, it goes from on the positive end, you know, some of the most fun, best camaraderie, everybody's into it. It's, you know, win, win, win or lose. It's just a great experience to like starting a fist fight at second base because somebody (laughs) did a dirty slide in a game that could not matter. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, screaming at teammates for not hitting the cutoff man or not setting a pick or not getting back on defense and all of a sudden things devolve. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I think so I, I, and I'm, and I'm leery because, because I've participated in all of the ugly at various points. And, and I think what it is for me is realizing that sports, sports aren't generally a thoughtful thing, right? They're purely reactive. Right. And so it's, it's a, it's a it's almost just like a wicked litmus test of from the abundance of the heart what comes out. Yes. You yeah. know, and if you're ready to throw a punch, you're like, oh, that's in there. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's, that's gross. I know it. Or you're ready to scream at an 18 year old for you know, making the wrong block when you're trying to coach him. You're like, oh, right. that's in there. I right. I decided I decided I was that mad at a kid who's never played football before. Exactly. Whoops. Um it's one of the reasons that I love the fact that my kids do stuff that I have no experience. In. Oh, isn't that a blessing? So one, That's huge. One daughter swims. One daughter's in dance. Yeah. I know nothing about either of these. They're both better at them than I ever would be. Therefore, I can't. I can't yell at them about anything. Yeah. All I can do is cheer for them to to be the best at it, as you know, their best at it, yeah. and it's uh, it's safe. It puts a lot of bumpers on that lane for me. But yeah, I just I think it's the 
yeah, it's that base instinct that comes out. And then you have to kind of look at yourself in the mirror and go, where did that come from? I know. Why am I that angry? I know it. I know it. Yeah. It's so huge. And, and I'm to my shame. And this is partly like just baked into sports culture. I never really thought about it up until a certain age. You know, I was just like, I have to win. I have to dominate. I have to win every rep in practice or else it's a failure. And it it was very much the like zero sum game approach to football. And like that was back when like nobody was talking about mental health. Nobody. I was talking about this with my dad last night and uh, he, he had called and he was asking me how sore I was. And I was like, pops, I feel like I've been hit by a truck, you know, because I played more than I planned to play. Like, because going into the game, I was telling my dad, like, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put myself on a pitch count. You know, I'm going to play like 25, 30 plays. Well, I ended up playing a bunch. Um, and I played fullback and linebacker, which are my two favorite positions. And uh, just a lot of collisions all over the field, which was a blast. But now I, now I am feeling it for sure. And he was like, he made the point last night. He's like, yeah, if you were in college, you know, it was like the... The second day of two-a-days, you know, you'd have to wake up in the morning feeling like this, and then you'd have to go practice and then practice again. And I was just like, yeah, the like the mental anguish of that was even worse mm-hmm. than the physical pain. You know what I mean? Because, like, you're hungry, but you can't eat. You're tired, but you can't sleep. You know, you're in all this pain, and then you have to wake up and go go do it again day after day. And it was brutal. Yeah, and, you, and you get to practice, and you hear a whistle, and they go, on the line. Oh, yeah. Oh, and I'm like, shoot me now. How did we survive that? But then, like, this thing being kind of kind of like the semi-pro approach where you just practice a couple days a week without pads, and then you go out there on Saturday and just kind of see how it goes. It was so joyful and so fun and so interesting and so, like, relational um, the cool thing about it was like, it brings together all these like disparate, like different guys from all over campus. And it gives me a chance to like, just get to know a whole bunch of different people, which is really fun. But, but kind of the unifying thread is we all, we all really like football. Um, so it ends up being this great kind of unifying thing. And I have to, I have to give a shout out to somebody, my, my good friend, Eli Parker, Eli's a huge, uh, huge fan of the happy rant. Uh, every time I see him, he's a union alum and he was an all state receiver in high school and I had to play against him. This is the second time I've had to play against Eli. Uh, and he's a great athlete. He's a beast, uh, but a huge fan of the show and he'll, he'll be, uh, stoked that we talked about this, but, uh, and my kid too, man, my kid played great. He actually got defensive player of the game. He was flying around and, uh, I don't know. It was just a really joyful time, man. And it, and it begs the question, why can't all sports experiences get, closer to that you know what i mean and i you made the great point of if we haven't played the sport then we can't ruin it as parents or fans like the best the best sports season i ever had was like when my kid played tennis like i know nothing about tennis i've barely held a tennis racket in my life it was so much fun um but uh yeah it's interesting why we can't get to this more often you know what i mean I think the other thing is, or another thing is, this game is exactly what it is. Mm. There is no, there's no next game. Right. There's no if we win this, then it's right. just, it's a purely for the love of the game and the joy of kind of the community, which totally. almost no sports are at this point. No, you're absolutely right. You know, even even the lowest level. Let's go back to church softball leagues, right? And uh, could 
lowest level of competitive anything just yeah. doesn't matter. Like yeah. Bridge Club is more competitive than this stuff. Right. In terms of like the in terms of the the long term outcome. Yeah. But people hang so much on it. They do. What are we like? They, there's just sort of a like they they they're, they're wrapped up in it. They've they're buying. T- $400 softball bats they're whatever and there's there's an investment in this emotionally whereas like the investment for what you just did was people yeah and fun and you know you get the pleasure of seeing young guys learn the game who don't know it yeah. or like strap on the pads for the first time in a couple of years and yeah. they're, they're excited about it that's i think that's a much more pure sense of what sport is supposed to be in life yeah not a I'm depending on this to deliver me something. No, you're absolutely which right. Is how we treat sports most of the time. Dude, you're so right. And it's how we treat it as fans, even, which is yeah, like face value, a very ridiculous approach to to sports, but um we definitely do it. And yeah, like these experiences where I'm not loading it up with all these expectations, like they really deliver a joyful time. And uh I found myself with this one like I viewed it as like I'm a curator of this experience for people, whether they've never played before or whether they played in high school and they're trying to like get the feeling back or whatever. Like I want to curate a really good experience for them and a really good time. And uh, yeah, by God's grace, it ended up being that, which was super fun. Uh, Pipe, let's talk some NFL, some NBA. Uh, Let's just catch up on sports because it's been a while since we've talked about this stuff. Um I want to start with our mediocre fantasy teams, and Ugh, to my have to. to my shame again, fantasy is one of these things that it kind of runs week to week for me. Like there's there are certain weeks where I get super mad about it, like where I'll I'll be losing in fantasy, and then I'll I'll fire off a text or two to you that are you know uh, things that we probably can't repeat on the radio program here, but. And then I have weeks where I just I just don't care at all, you know, and I'm like, oh, maybe I'm maturing. Maybe I'm actually a grown up at age 45, you know. Um, so our fantasy teams are bad. Um, it's been a really frustrating, weird year fantasy wise. Uh, I guess just speak to that for a minute. And then I want to talk about this week in terms of NFL stuff. Yeah, I think I've I think I've. I don't get really mad about fantasy because uh-huh. because I've been well trained as a Vikings fan to just be like, well, somebody some some version of this game is going to sucker punch me at some point, right. you know. So of course J.K. Dobbins is going to go out for the season <laughs> yeah. in you know in the preseason right after I've selected him as a keeper, you know, uh-huh. and so forth. Of course Josh Allen is going to regress this year and only be good, not spectacular. Right injuries whatever yeah and so you just kind of i don't know like i don't get really mad i just kind of go i'm just it's sort of low-grade disappointment where i was like man i was really hoping this was going to be fun yeah no i know and it's just, just kind of not right you know it's just kind of not fun yeah and I, you know i reset my lineup in the hopes that maybe this is the week where everything comes together but when i say in the hopes of it's more like well yeah i guess it could happen you know there's something that those things happen there's something weirdly like um infantile too about being a grown man who cares about it you know what i mean so like yeah i'm caring about it i catch myself caring about it then i feel like guilty and ashamed for caring about it which is uh it's really no way to live but i want to talk briefly and you you can be quick on these and i'll I'll be quick on them too like the thing the thing about your fantasy team that that has frustrated you the most 
and then the thing that you're the most like happy about or excited about. And I'll start. So my most frustrating thing has been owning Miles Sanders and having the Eagles give him like three carries a game when clearly he's their best player. And they run the zone read and like spoiler alert, Jalen Hurts is keeping every time. So like the stat line would be, you know, Jalen Hurts finishes with like 17 carries for 64 yards and Miles Sanders has like three carries for 31 yards, but he only had the three carries. And this this would send me into like a a white hot rage as a Miles Sanders owner, but also just as a, a a football aficionado and a coach where I would be like, this is football malpractice. And then what happened was Sanders gets hurt and they sign like Jordan Howard off the street. And now they're feeding him like 22 carries a game. And I just can't deal with it. It makes me so angry. Um, have you noticed that phenomenon with the with the Eagles pipe? Oh, the Eagles are yeah. I hate the Eagles. I do too. As, I hate I them mean, as a just I, a football fan. Yeah, yeah. And their quarterback is their best running back, despite not being their best running back. Right. He's, he should be running should be an aspect of his game, not the aspect of his game. Right. Uh, the only good thing about the Eagles is Jalen Waddle. Yeah. The end. Like they're just they're. They're boring to watch. They have ugly uniforms. They, their coach doesn't seem to know how to coach. Right. Also doesn't know how to do a press conference. And uh, yeah, I'm not ugh, gross. Yeah, Nick Sirianni, interesting press conference guy. Um, can can we talk a minute? And I realize I'm veering off topic here. The topic that I suggested, but it hasn't been a great year for like some of the young hotshot coaches. So I want to I want to do a minute on Kyle Shanahan. Um, the genius Kyle Shanahan, who I think his winning percentage is like equivalent to that of Bruce Coslett right now. So like some of the mm-hmm. some of the the bad coaches in NFL history, like Shanny has the same winning percentage as them. And like all all the Kyle Shanahan genius talk, I think can can go ahead and stop. In that he lost to uh, Colt McCoy yesterday, uh, Arizona's backup quarterback. And uh, it's just been a weird year for the like young genius coach types. Although, then you have some that are doing well, like the Bengals coach, who I thought would be fired by now, uh, actually is putting a great season together. So maybe I'm the one who doesn't know anything. Uh, I don't know where are you where are you at on the young genius coaches, Piper? Yeah, I don't know that there are any right now. Right. I mean, I'm trying to think because the Rams guy McVay, uh, he's he's uh, he's still doing yeah, a nice job. Although. They just got the brakes beat off them by the Titans last night, which is right. enigmatic. It is enigmatic um, for sure. Yeah, I don't. I mean, all of the great, you know. So Cincinnati hired this hotshot offensive coordinator to be their coach, yeah. Zach. What's his Zach face? Taylor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they, they look they're they're competitive this year. He's actually probably doing the best job. Yeah. Uh, Miami's had you know Not everybody great. thought they were going to be competing for the division. Yeah. Utter, they're just a miserable season for them. Yeah. Um, who else is a young hotshot coach right now? Yeah. Uh, McVeigh, Cliff. Cliff's having a great season, actually. Cliff's, yeah. Cliff, Cliff is the one that I'm, I mean, he seems to have learned how to coach. Like, yes, he dude. brought in, he brought in a gimmicky offense and then has progressively learned how, oh, this, this is what works in the NFL. Yeah. And their defense is playing really well, too. Dude, they're the best watch in the NFL right now. Like, if you yeah, catch a fun. Cardinals game, like it's really fun to watch. 
And I think the, I think the Rams are up there too. Although yeah. you know, most recently, not not so. But right. they, those two, because yeah, they're they're good systems. The ball goes all over the place. They balance running and passing. It's not just they one play great thing defense. over and over again. Yeah, I have, I have, uh, I'm out on Kyle Shanahan. I think he's yeah. a good offensive coordinator, but he needs somebody else to make the rules for him. Yeah, because I think he's read his own press clippings too much and thinks that he can turn any pile of dirt into like a marble sculpture. Right, and. And so he just doesn't use his best players yeah. and he rotates the running backs. And this is not just a fantasy complaint. It's right, like, right, right. you know, pick somebody, yeah. pick, have, have a, have a ranking of like one, two, three, this guy's going to get 40% of the carries. This guy's going to get 30% of the carries, whatever it is. Well, in the thing Brandon Ayuk was this breakout receiver as a rookie who just in the last two games they've remembered exists. Exactly. And it, I, it's a little bit like the Miles Sanders thing where it's yeah. like everybody watching this knows yeah. who your best weapons are, except you, genius. Dude, right. I don't get it. Well, and it's something that like the analytics community misses in the sense that playing running back is different than like analyzing statistics about running backs in the sense that like you really figure the game out as you get more carries in a game. And if you're getting a carry and then like waiting around for 17 minutes until your next carry. Like it, you can't get into, you can't time up the defense. You can't figure out like, you know, where guys are going to be in relationship to your guys. And it's, it's why yes. guys like Emmett Smith and Walter Payton and these guys that got 22, 25, 28 carries in a game were so good, especially in the third and fourth quarter. And I think you see some of it with Derrick Henry, you know, Derrick Henry is a, He's a really interesting. May, may his season rest in peace. Yeah, I know it, dude. You hate to see it, but he's a, a really interesting closer because, like, not only does he wear the defense down, like he starts to figure it out more as the game goes on, and mm-hmm. he he actually is better in the third and fourth quarter. So, well, and and an an offensive coordinator who's committed to a certain kind of running game. So, I think the Vikings are a good example of this. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm utterly frustrated with their team this year. Sure, but. What they did with Dalvin Cook the last couple of years is a good example where they're yeah. like, all right, we're just going to – where they basically – you can kind of see them testing the defense. Mm-hmm. And then they figure out what plays are working, which blocking matchups are in right. their favor. And they just beat those into the ground. They're like, all right, well, we can't run the ball right because those guys are not – you know, they're not opening anything up. Right. So we're just going to go left. Yep. Yep. 11 times in a row. And they're going to gain six yards a carry. And, and so – but yeah, when you when you're swapping out running backs, you lose the timing. When you're going, who was it? It was the Browns yesterday, which is funny because the Browns have been a consistently like fun running offense. Right. They try to run like a an option with a wide receiver at the goal line. Did you see that play, dude? I missed it. No. It, so they use they they use Jarvis Landry as a quarterback. Now he's he has a good. You know, he's he's had some good trick play yeah. passes and stuff, but they tried to run the option to his offhand, so him going left. Oh wow. And they lo- it's like I I it's you know, I don't goal to go from like the four yard line. Yeah. They lose eight yards and end up having to kick a field goal. Too creative by half. I know. I'm like, you have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt right. and a good offensive line. Right. Don't be creative. Lots of guys Just who are be hard better to than the other team. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. And like I feel like one thing that we've lost in football, we're we're in the era of play design and we're in the era of like the genius coach and the the call yeah. sheet that's like, you know, a gigantic 
you know, laminated piece of paper with 800 play calls on it. And we've kind of lost matchup football. And, you know, I'm thinking of those old cowboy teams with like Jay Novacek running a hitch and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Michael Irvin running slants and, and digs. And it's like those guys just won their matchups, you know, and, and Emmett Smith carrying it 30 times a game. Like there, there was a sense of, yeah, there's good play calling. There's good game flow. The play action makes sense. Like a lot of what they were doing made sense, but a lot of it was just like, don't overthink it. You know, um, get good players in spots and then and then call a game that makes sense. But we're in the we're in the call sheet era where you feel like if you don't, you know, call all 55 of the genius plays that you designed this week, it was a bad week when when in fact, dude, the Redskins ran like, you know, counter gap 25 times a game back in the 80s and 90s, you know, because it worked. And, uh, yeah, well, and I think, I think there's a balance there because you do, you know, you have these old school coaches who like, I think Pete Carroll's one of these who, who actually hinders his team. Cause he's every time something's going wrong, he's like, we just, we got to get back to the running game. Maybe, or ma- yeah. maybe, uh, what is their, uh, DK Metcalf, maybe DK Metcalf is the biggest athletic freak of nature in the league. Sure. And you should feed him the ball 18 times. Yeah. Maybe like, more DK Metcalf and less Thomas Rawls. No disrespect to Thomas yeah, Rawls, I mean, but like, yeah, who's Alex your best player? Collins is, yeah. is, you know, Alex Collins 18 times is going to get you far less than forcing the ball to one of the top few wide receivers in the game. Yeah. It doesn't matter who your quarterback is. Yeah. So there, there is an element of, of kind of outsmarting themselves or stubbornly going back to the running game. I think the thing that I, that I don't understand about the NFL is, yeah, it's, it has tipped to be such a coach's league that, the co- like you said, the coach's design is the hero yeah. as opposed to – so you asked you – know, one of the questions was what's one of the biggest frustrations of your fantasy team? Mm-hmm. And it's that my best players are not being treated like their team's best players. Dude, that's so true. Yeah, in, in every team's desire to sort of – you know, appease the analytics people in their building. Yeah, your best player is like collecting dust when he should be having the ball fed to him. And it it is. It's really frustrating. And I hope that pendulum kind of swings back the other way um, such that, you know, we get to see good players like being good. And that is a that is a real fantasy frustration. So the fantasy thing that I'm happiest about is uh, just the fact that I have Kadarius Tony. And <laughs> Kadarius Tony was a guy that like he was on my radar a little bit, but he had a very Antonio Brown esque training camp in that like just crazy stories were coming out of New York about Kadarius Tony and why he wasn't practicing and he was having weird like equipment problems. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's uh he's already flaking out and he hasn't even played a regular season snap. But then he started getting reps. I don't know, like week four, week five, I signed him. He had one game where he like had 12 catches for almost 200 yards and he punched somebody and got thrown out. I was going to say and got ejected. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the funnest fantasy week of all time for me with Kadarius Tony. And then it's been very up and down since then, mostly down. I think he had one catch last week. And um, it- that may be because his quarterback is really, really, really <laughs> yeah. bad. I think it's that. And I think it's also... The thing that we talked about vis-a-vis, you know, if you have Kadarius Tony and he's impossible to tackle, and if you've watched a game of his, you know that, like, he's special. Like, he just moves – he moves laterally like not a whole lot of people. Um, 
he's he's a really interesting guy to watch and he's really fast and quick and and yet they're like no we've got to get the ball to Kyle Rudolph you know or we've got to you know we got to get so and so his touches and it's like nah maybe maybe just feed Kadarius Tony and and you know feed the running back who's supposedly elite that you used the top five pick on and and like let's see how that goes but uh yeah it's yeah it's strange that the idea of feeding like yeah. everybody has to eat mm-hmm. bothers me immensely in football because yeah. it, it's just not true your best players need to eat and then you use the other guys when all the attention goes to the best guys right. so like why never force Kyle Rudolph the ball, but occasionally on third and six, he's going to be, he's going to be matched up against the defensive end. You had to drop into coverage and like, yeah, go to him. He'll get you eight yards every time, yeah. but never force the ball to that guy. Yeah. Yeah. The 85 and, bears were never like, you know, we have to get Emery Moorhead, his touches. It's like, nah, let's feed Walter 35 carries a game. See how that goes. And and I understand if there's a health concern. So take the Vikings, you know, Dalvin cook, he, 30 carries a game, there's a reason he plays 13 games a year. That's Because right. that's, that's not right. good for him. So maybe give Madison 10 carries a game and split it up a little bit. But that's different than everybody has to eat. Or, yeah, I just, I never understand when they go to like a fourth receiver on third down. And he's about as covered as everybody else. Like if yeah. he's the one guy who's running open, by all means, get him the ball. But yeah, yeah there's just a, the, the, the spread the ball around offense is... And I sound like such a grumpy old man right now. <laughs> I love it. It's it's terrible for fantasy, and I'm not even sure it's good for real football. Yeah. No, I know. It's it's fascinating. It really is. Um, what what's been your happiest fantasy thing, Pipe? <sighs> Nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think the happiest fantasy thing is that Joe Mixon is finally turning in the year we thought he would for the last four years. Yeah, let's talk about that because I've been a Joe Mixon owner for the last four years, and I've been like uh, pulling my hair out with frustration. And then I finally, I quit the Joe Mixon thing this year. I was like, I'm not doing it again. I'm not going to have that experience. It's not enjoyable. I don't, I, I don't want to have it. And then you got him, and now they're finally like, hey, this guy's pretty good. Let's give him 22 touches a game. And uh, yeah, and the only reason I got him is you know, so we have an auction league. It's because yeah. other people bid on him like he would be as valuable as previous years. So he's like, I don't know what he was. He, I think he cost me like $27 or something yeah. in our auction. And I was like, all right, well, yeah. if he's my second or third running back at that, uh, that's probably fine. <clears throat> and he's not, he's not world beating. Like his yards are not huge, but he's had. In our scoring, you know, multiple 30-point games, a couple other 25-point games. He's had a couple dogs where he's like nine points, but he's been really good. He's getting though. a lot of touches and he's getting the goal line touches. So yeah. that's the big deal. Is they instead of fades to T. Higgins, they T. Higgins, they realized, oh, a big physical running back inside the five is is pretty useful. Maybe we should go to him. And he can he can catch the ball a little bit. So Yeah. I do the big I goals. think the reason he's having this year is because Burrow is coming off of an injury, though. I yeah. don't think that Mixon will ever duplicate this because in the future, Burrow's going to be healthy and mobile and they're going to start throwing the ball 45 times a game. No, that's a great point. But they're actually they're calling the kind of game that they need to call for their personnel because Burrow's coming off the injury. And yeah, next year, they'll probably go back to overthinking it. The Bengals are actually a fun watch this year. They're, mm-hmm. they're a really fun watch. Their offensive line's coming together. Like they're finally healthy, healthier up front. Um, they've, they've been really fun and their, their uniform is good. Like the new Bengals oh, uniform. Yeah. Yep. We got to do some uniform talk. Um, it's a great TV uniform. It looks great on TV. 
Um, the Jets look amazing on TV. I, I remark on that every weekend. Um, there's some really good like uniform stuff happening in the league right now. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Yeah, so it was you know Bengals Browns most recently, which yeah. is it. I prefer contrast in general, you know. So a team that's in green playing a team that's in blue or red or something yeah. like that. But that, but that just like one team all in white with the orange helmets, one team kind of in orange with orange helmets is still it's a fun watch. Like it really it's a, it's a good uniform game. I'm I'm always down with the Browns uniforms because they yeah. can't do anything creative. Yeah. So it's just different combinations of orange and white right. with the occasional black thrown in. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's a good uni. Um, worst- the Vikings-Ravens game was hideous. Dude, I didn't watch it. Yeah. What's, what, I mean, I'm talking about the uniforms. The yeah. So the Ravens love purple and black, which yeah. is so ugly. It's really so, ugly. So, so ugly. Yeah. And the Vikings are purple and gold, but they were on the road, so they were wearing white. Yeah. And so it was just like a lot of like mushy purple. Dude, I want to do really bad. I want to do a minute on the Vikings uniforms because the Vikings uniform circa like Herschel Walker, Anthony Carter, Tommy Kramer, like that era, dude, it was a beauty. That was a gorgeous uniform and cool looking. It looked great on TV. Like when the Vikings and the Bears would play in like the 80s, it was just a mm-hmm. beaut, dude. Like those yeah, two that's uniforms. the contrast because the yeah. Bears are in the, you know, in the navy blue and the Vikings are in white with the purple helmets or yeah. vice versa. There's same with the Packers because you get like right. green and gold versus purple and gold. And there's like they they contrast nicely. Exactly. But dude, yeah, you're right. The Viking uniform now, it's just it's too creative by half. There's too many accents. The the font sucks. Um the the shade of purple, there's something about it that doesn't work for me. And maybe I'm just longing for that like Herschel Walker era, you know, Randall McDaniel Vikings uniform that I that I enjoyed so much back in the day. That's probably well, those were so simple they because were. it was there were no alternate uniforms. The helmet, you know, was just the horn, which that hasn't really changed, although they've changed like the shininess of it and yeah, whatever. Yeah. And then the, the jerseys just had the couple stripes on the sleeve and the numbers and the name, and that was it. You yeah. know, so it was like purple with a gold accent around the outside on the lettering and and numbering. And yeah, they were. I don't like purple as a as right. a color uniform color, but yeah. at least those were kind of crisply done. Yeah, yeah, they were. That was good. Um, one more uniform thing, like worst uniform in the league for you right now. Taking the Titans off the table, the Titans will always have the worst uniform in the league. Yeah, until they rebrand themselves entirely. Oh right. man, worst uniform in the league. Like TV wise, you're flipping around, you come across this uniform, and you're like, I can barely watch this game because of this. Who who is it for you? Uh, okay, I've got a couple. Okay. Uh, the Eagles when they do like this super dark green, but it's sort of metallic-y. Yeah, just that's gross. a terrible look. It's so stupid looking. It is. Um. The Rams color rush uniforms okay. are hideous. Yeah. To be fair, all color rush uniforms are hideous. I hate the color rush uniforms. Yeah. Um, but the Rams particularly, because when they do the classic blue and yellow, it's crisp and awesome. It is. And then they go color rush and just it's just it's like they it's like a giving a kid a crayon. They always go overboard. Yeah. That's what theirs feel like. Yeah. Um, let's see. Dude, we don't talk about we don't talk about Seattle enough in the terrible uniform discussion. 
That's a okay, bad uniform. In, in my mind, Seattle and the Oregon Ducks are like the same thing. It's like Pacific yeah. Northwest just gave up on good design. Right. And they're just like trying stuff with bright colors. Yeah, Seattle's uniforms have been hideous since they rebranded to their current color scheme. Right. But I discovered something. What's that? Um, I know multiple people who love Seattle because of their uniforms who are not football fans. Dude, that's fascinating. What's the logic so these are, here? These Explain are, this to me. So these are generally, you know, young women yeah. who do not follow football, but they're like, oh, I like that. Interesting. You know, that sort of. And so something about that, like, bright green with that aqua blue just works huh. from a, like, if I was going to wear a sweatshirt, it'd be that. Okay. Yeah. That's so, you know, I guess they, I guess they've tapped into a certain market. Yeah, I guess they have. Dude, I've got an underrated great uniform that I'm really enjoying. And it's the Texans when they wear their red jerseys. Like that well, dark- I was just about to say I hate the Texans uniform. <laughs> Dude, really? Talk about that. That's fascinating. I hate red, white, and blue as a uniform. Okay. I think it's I mean, unless unless this is like the USA playing in the World Cup or the Olympics. Sure. It just I think it's a bad color combination. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I feel I think like red and white works. I think blue and white works. Mm-hmm. I don't think red and blue look good together. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I feel like it's really the Texans uniform is really kind of popping this year on TV. I really, I've, I've been enjoying it. Um, yeah. Okay. So we talked about Philly. I mean, I'm thinking about other things, which is funny because I mean, I'm a Twins fan. Well, yeah. I guess it's the shade of blue. If it's like a yeah. navy blue, it works. With the Texans, I guess there's a little bit more navy there. But it has to be more blue-based than red. Yeah. Because when you – the red just has to be an accent there. That's my – Yeah. My grumpy opinion. There we go. No, that's uh, I respect it, Piper. I respect it. Let's uh, let's talk some NBA. Um, I need you to explain a situation to me and explain the 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 different aspects of it. Um, talk to me about the Ben Simmons thing because I'm, you know, as, as people know, if they l- listen to this program over the years, like my. My ramping up of like caring about the NBA has not kicked in yet. It usually kicks in around like Christmas time. Um, so I definitely don't care yet. I haven't watched any minutes of NBA basketball yet, but I'm I'm hearing like bits and pieces about this Ben Simmons deal and I'm kind of intrigued by it. So uh talk me through it. Yeah, so uh end of last year, uh Sixers were one of the better teams in the East. They go to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And Simmons just lays an egg and like, and not just lays an egg, like plays badly. You know, people have yeah. down series, but like taps out, yeah. refuses to shoot. looks like a total mental breakdown. Right. So Philly fans kind of turn on him and then he basically turns on the team. You know, he's like, I don't want to play here anymore. Yeah. Okay. So you kind of assume they're going to work out a trade. Cause when there's a disgruntled star player, you work out a trade forgetting that their GM is Daryl Morey, who is a robot. Uh-huh. So he does not care at all about human feelings. Uh-huh. And when it comes to these things, <laughs> he will, he's just going to sit on his guy until he gets the trade that he wants. Right. Um, you know, so, but cause, but so it's this weird combination where Simmons value is probably at an all time low because yeah. he's thrown a hissy fit and, and ended his season on such a low note, forgetting that he was, you know, Defensive player of the year, quality player. Yeah. Um, really unique offensive player. Yeah. Um, works with certain guys. Didn't really work with Joel Embiid. Yeah. Because he's like a point power forward. Right. So you need to put the right guys around him. But but really good, too. Yeah. Um, and 
So now he's basically just holding out and being fined hundreds of thousands of dollars because he won't show up. But then at one point, I think it was the first game of the season. So he didn't, he wasn't with them all through training camp, shows up, mm-hmm. passes, you know, COVID protocols before the first game of the season and is like in the building, but they won't let him dress or sit on the bench or anything. Yeah. And then he got, he got kicked out of a couple practices because he just like told the coaches, no, I'm not going to run that drill. Uh-huh. And there was a picture of him, you know, in all the pictures, he just looks morose. And then there's one where it's very clear he has his cell phone in his pocket while he's practicing. Oh, great. Um, great. <laughs> so there's a very clear sense of like, I'm only here so I don't get fined. And they're like, no, you're going to go home and you're going to get fined because you are a detriment to the team. So that's where things are now is basically he's sitting at home. Yeah. And it's not COVID related. No, like Kyrie is doing the I refuse to get vaccinated thing. Right. And the team is like, well... In New York, the only way you're getting in this building is if you're vaccinated, and we're not going to have you only with us on the road. So you you you're at home too. We're just going to pay you not to be here, yeah, and not to be a distraction. Simmons is just like I don't want to be with these guys. I don't like these guys, and I don't like my coach, and I don't like this organization. And so, yeah, they're just kind of finding him, and I think it's it's a it's a battle of stubbornness between Daryl Morey and uh-huh. Ben Simmons. And as far as I can tell, this is the uh, unstoppable force and the immovable object. Yeah, dude, that's fascinating. So uh, I hesitate to ask this because we, I think we're still in the time period where you can't say an unkind thing about like player empowerment, but I'll ask it anyway. Is this like, the underbelly of player empowerment kind of running amok. You know what I mean? You got like billionaires sitting at home and and not doing their jobs because of fairly petty things. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of like, you know, Scotty Pippen being criminally underpaid all those years in Chicago, but playing anyway and playing great. And like going out being remembered as this, like, you know, Hall of Fame player who was really good and really hard to play against. And, and you know, like, I don't know, speak to that a little bit. Um, yeah, I I don't know how much of this is a player empowerment issue because, you know, there's there's a guy or two who does this every couple of years. You know, James yeah. Harden basically did this in Houston, ironically, with Daryl yeah. Morey there, I think. I think that was still when Morey was the GM. Yeah. And, you know, forced his way out and, you know, showed up. He, But the thing is, I think he still showed up. Yeah. It was just very clear he didn't want to play with them. Showed up 20 pounds overweight, kind of <laughs> yes. jogged his way through things, but yeah. was still like he he was above the professional threshold of still a good player and still like still doing his okay, job. Yeah. It's requisite effort. I mean, right. it was it was barely requisite effort, but it was there. But he's still coming to the office. Like he's still doing yeah. work. He's putting a work day in, you know. Right. And yeah. and so you know, and then there's usually instances where, like, in the second half of the season, there's a veteran player who'd like, I don't want to be on this bad team. And they're like, fine, we'll just go home until we work out a trade with you. Like, Andre Drummond sat out half the year last year before they could, Detroit could offload him to Cleveland. Yeah. And because they were like, well, we don't want to play you. We want to play the young guys because we're in total teardown mode. Right. Um, but he still got paid because I don't think it was that he was. He didn't want to play for that team, but he did want to play. So he's like, right. well, if this is my job, I'm going to do this job. And they're like, no, we don't want you to do your job. So right. that. I think with Simmons, there's something else going on. You know, like I talked about Kyrie. Kyrie is very clearly not quite right in the head. And yeah. I don't know if it's a mental illness thing or, or if he's just like a conspiracy theorist or what. Like he's always saying something crazy. Yeah. 
I kind of get the impression that Simmons may struggle with some some of that kind of thing. Like I wouldn't be surprised to find out that there's um some sort of a depression, manic depressive. And I'm yeah. I'm saying this based on some reporting. I'm not just sure, guessing. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um yeah. but what which would make sense because of the uh like the fervor of his decisions. Yeah. Like the I'm all the way out. I'm just done. Yeah. And the kind of the inability to re-engage professionally, even though that that would actually facilitate his exit. Yeah. Like if he had showed up to training camp and practiced with the team while also vocally saying, I would like to play elsewhere, Mm -hmm. somebody would have traded for him. A few games into the season, they would have been like, oh, he's throwing up triple doubles. He's defending hard. Right. Yes. We'll give you two first round picks and two starters for him. Yeah, right. Like we could use that. You know, yeah. So now he has—he's actually tanked his own chance of getting traded, which is the thing he wants most. And that level of like stubborn irrationality makes me think that something going on in his head is not just like it's—it's it's not just an empowerment thing. Yeah. No, that's interesting. That's good. Good insight. Exactly what I was looking for. Here's a here's a thought experiment, and I'd I'd like you to go down this road with me for like two minutes. And I I'm asking you this because I don't know enough about basketball to know that it or to wonder if it could work at the NBA level. Like, could you, could you approach roster construction from the standpoint of we're going to sacrifice a little bit in the elite skills area, but I'm just going to find eight or nine or 10 guys who like really like playing together and like each other and want to be for whatever reason in the Metro area that we're in, or want to play for this coach or whatever and kind of take a a psychological approach to roster building and see if it works. Because to me, the NBA, it just seems like this constant uh, sort of blender of this guy doesn't like it here. He doesn't like it here. He doesn't like this coach. He doesn't like this teammate. Um, you've got stars trying to build super teams. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. You know what I'm saying? I wonder if you like if you found the right handful of guys who just wanted to make it work in a certain place, could you make it work? You know what I mean? I mean, I think, I think best case scenario in that is that, is that maybe you sneak into the playoffs. Yeah. Because winning titles though, the NBA, no, I mean, and basketball more than any other sport Mm -hmm. is driven by stars because, and I think that's just a matter of percentages, you know, one player is 20% of his team on the court, Yeah, you know? And so if you have two superstars, 40% of the guys on the court at a given time are better than the other team's players. Right. So you could have, you know, the best schematic coach who's, you know, the most uplifting, his team loves him and you have eight try hard guys. And I I know you're not talking about bad basketball players, but like professional level guys they're still going to get run because Kevin Durant can drop 40 in his sleep. It doesn't matter if he's grumpy or not, you know, yeah. uh, Steph Curry can still hit nine threes in a quarter or whatever. Like that stuff just, yeah. Stars make things happen. Right. So, I mean, there, there have been teams like the closest to that would be like when the Pistons yeah. won a title. Yeah. The early 2000s. But the thing is Pistons. you look at that and you're like, but that's not exactly right because Richard Hamilton scored 20 points a game and Chauncey Billups was an all-star level point guard for a few years. Right. And Ben Wallace was the defensive player of the year and the closest thing we've seen to Dennis Rodman right. since Dennis Rodman. 
And Rashid Wallace was kind of, he was a great teammate, but like phenomenally skilled basketball player yeah. and an utter psycho, you know? So he was an utter psycho, but that was like good Rashid Wallace at that time. Yes. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I mean, he was, yeah. he was, he was delightfully psycho, not like yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to choke you psycho, but more just like mm-hmm. kind of no limits on his emotions. Yeah. And, uh, so that's the closest because they didn't have any, they, they rarely had the best player on the court. Yeah. But they had five legitimate all-star level guys at any given time, you know, right. that and, kind of thing. And like Tayshawn Prince coming off the bench and giving yeah. quality minutes. and Yeah, weird Tayshawn Prince, who's like a 6'10 point forward, all elbows. Can yeah, 6'10 and weighs defense. like a buck 80. <laughs> yeah, he was crazy. Uh, so, yeah, but I don't know. I can't think of another team that's been remotely successful without that. Even those Memphis, uh, you know, grit and grind yeah. teams. yeah. They still had a like Mike Conley was a low grade star. Yeah, Zach sure. Randolph yeah. was a low grade star. Like they had right. guys who were twenty points, ten assists, twenty points, ten rebounds, capable every night. They just yeah. they weren't flashy. Yeah, I guess that's that's the reason I asked the question because a market like Detroit or really or Memphis, two cities that I love. By the way, I really like both those cities. But like free agents don't want to go there. Like nobody really wants to play there. They're small media markets. And so places like that, they're going to have to figure out a way to kind of like moneyball their way into relevance. And, you know, Memphis, since those grit and grind teams, has just kind of been a revolving door of like, you know, stars who are looking to get out mixed with, you know, guys who really yeah. aren't, aren't quite good enough. So I wonder what the-, the like moneyball workaround will be in basketball for a market like that, or if there just isn't one basketball, basketball more than more than the other sports doesn't moneyball types of things don't work as well because a poorly constructed team with two superstars can kill, still come in and just throw a knockout punch. So yeah, that's true. The closest, the closest thing that they've discovered in the last 10 years is it was kind of the Steph Curry discovery that like, Oh, a three pointer is worth 50% more than a two pointer. Yeah, and so if you hit thirty five percent of them instead of fifty percent of your twos, you're actually you're just as good or better. And if you hit forty percent of them, you, you should just take sixty a game, you know, right. as a team. And the game completely sh- shifted because no longer is a contested layup a good shot. A contested three is a good shot. Yeah, and but every team figured that out, right. you know, and that's it's it's insane. The the NBA has yet to figure out the thing you're talking about. So what, every time that there's a, a negotiation of the, um, like that with the be- between the owners and the players and all of those negotiations for for salary caps and all that, they're trying to figure out how to maintain competitive balance, which usually means giving teams a a, a chance to re-sign players at a lot more money. Right. The problem is that that they then have to figure out how do we do this without handcuffing the uh, salary cap because yeah. you know if we're going to give. So say Memphis wants to re-sign John Morant in a couple of years and they can give him 20% more than any other team. Yeah. Does it count against their cap? Because if so, now they can't sign any other good players. Yeah. Those kinds of things. And it still doesn't work because players players want to get paid and win. Yeah. But they kind of look at it and go, the difference between $27 million and $23 million yeah. is not that big of a deal. So I'm going to take the 23 yeah. and go play with another star rather than the 27 and, you know, play in Minnesota or Memphis or wherever. Yeah, you you kind of have to get lucky t- on the level of, you know, maybe a John Morant is just like, 
you know what? I really love living in Memphis. I love playing here. I love the fan base. They love me. I want to be here. You know, you kind of have to get the star saying, I want to be here. I mean, it's kind of like the Michael Jordan in Chicago thing. You know, he gets drafted out of North Carolina, you know, goes to this cold weather city with a garbage NBA team in it. And, you know, little to no fan base at that time and stays there, makes it great. I mean, this is the dark ages compared to where we are now in terms of how people do stuff. But like point being, you know, you you could have you could have played his career out 20 different times and there could have been a dozen scenarios where he signs with different teams. And, you know, that's how it would work now. Like if you play Jordan's career in 2021, you know, he plays his first contract in Chicago and then he goes to. Miami or Los Angeles or some market that he wants to be in or New York. And uh, it's a totally different deal. But um, when it's <clears throat> the Jordan example is funny because like we think of Chicago as a world class city. Yeah. But they haven't signed a great free agent in forever. That's you know, right. Like, that's right. No, nobody wants to go play in Chicago at this point, which yeah. tells you that something about the front office plays into it. Something. Right. About, but but really, I think it's <clears throat> players are looking at it and going there. Very few players are just signing with a team. They're signing with other players. Yeah, that's so, right. You know, Brooklyn, world class, you know, world class city. Yeah. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. But what what but the idea of let's get these stars together. So we've got Durant, we've got Harden, we've got, you know, Kyrie, yeah. uh, that kind of thing. Same thing in Boston, like when they when they had their their big three or four that they won the title with, but then yeah. drafting these young guys, there's people people go to be with other players, not um not to go to a city. Like there's yeah. a reason the Knicks the Knicks haven't signed any stars. They, everybody yeah. talks about every year. Okay, who's going to be a free agent? The Knicks are going to be in the forefront. Right. No, they're not. Not unless three of them decide they want to go play for the Knicks. Yeah. Not unless yeah. Julius Randle becomes enough of a draw to get you know. I don't know who's going to be the next great free agent. I don't know, Chris Paul or whoever to go go play there. Yeah, nobody wants to be like the one star languishing on the Knicks, you know, Um, despite the fact that it's in in New York and the money would be I will say this year's Knicks are the kind of team you would want to watch. It's the closest thing to that group of like eight or ten professional players. Mm -hmm. They've got some really good players, but like it's a Tom Thibodeau is their coach. Yeah. Who loves defense and shouting a lot? <laughs> yeah, and and they they scrap hard. So nice. if you were going to pick an NBA team for this year, I think you would. I think you. I think you'd like the Grizzlies, being a more yeah. local team, and I think the Knicks are a team you could get on board with. Interesting. I may have to do that. I may check that out. All right, pipe. We should uh, we should close this up, but I want to talk about one more sports phenomenon thing, and this is like a social thing, a friend group thing. Do you have guys in your friend group? And I'm thinking of two guys, and they both listen to the program, so they're going to know who they are. They always want to fix like college football realignment. They want to do the conference thing where they're like uh, using pieces of string or yarn in like a weird office, and like you know, if we put Cincinnati in the Big Twelve, like it could work, you know. And they're sending these long, like impassioned, two thousand word texts about how they're going to fix college football alignment and the playoff system. Do you do you have these guys in your friend group? Uh, probably, but I I avoid all in-depth conversations about college football. Nothing bores me more than college football conversation. Really? College football is background noise on a Saturday to me. It's Interesting. Un- until we start to get our lists of who's going to be the higher-ranking NFL players they can yeah. draft. 
Yeah. Then I start to pay attention to those guys. You know, we, we did a, uh, we had some, some new deacons and elders at our church that came in at the beginning of the school year, you know, voted in, went around and we're introducing ourselves just so everybody can kind of get to know each other. Not all of us did. And, you know, so one of the questions being in Tennessee was like, you know, who are you? How'd you get to the church? And then who's your college football team? Or who do you root for? Yeah. You know, most of them have a team, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, whoever. Yeah. And they get to me and I'm like, I root for the NFL draft. I yeah. could not care less. College football does not matter. Yeah. And it matters <clears throat> less now that Alabama just always wins and the SEC is always the best. Like that actually makes it matter less. Yeah. So somebody sends me a 2000 word text about that. I just turning off notifications could not yeah. care less. It's interesting. I, I basically agree with that take, even though I love, I love football and I love college football and I enjoy watching it a lot, but I don't care about it at all. Like I have no emotional investment in college football whatsoever, but I do enjoy watching it. And, and being a Detroit Lions fan is an exercise in just caring about the draft. Like the draft is your whole year and you will squander the picks the players won't work out or they'll go somewhere else and be great. So it's, it's an exercise in like futility being a Lions fan, but, but yeah, I watch college football based on what coach do I want to watch? Like what schemes do I enjoy? Like, like here's one you'll love. Minnesota played Illinois this weekend. Then it was two gigantic offensive lines and like run based offenses. And I was loving it. I was just like, give me more of this game. I wish it would, I wish it was six quarters long and not and not four quarters. Um, it was amazing. So I, I find myself drawn to stuff like that. I'm trying to find a next quarterback for the Lions, um, which is going to be it's tricky. A bad year for it. Yeah, the Lions are going to lose every game and get the first pick, and there's not a quarterback worthy of it. So I'm trying to figure out the quarterback thing for the Lions. But but I'm trade with you. you. We'll trade you Kirk Cousins. Oh, <laughs> too soon, man. I can't do it. I can't. I can't even think about that. It it hurts too much. Uh, I think it's too late for the Vikings anyway. It is. Yeah, yeah. Your your window for finding a Kirk Cousins suitor is is uh, it may have closed. Was two contracts ago. It was two contracts ago. Exactly. Exactly. Well, pipe. We have done what we always do on this program in that we have wandered to and fro throughout sports. It's been good, man. We put in over an hour on this. Um, yeah, we were clearly overdue. We were overdue, man. It's uh, It's been good to talk some sports with you. We didn't even get into baseball and the Braves and all that stuff, but uh, we'll save it for another time. Um, drink some Red Bud City coffee. Uh, it pairs great with sports conversation. And until next time. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Hey friend, I'm Brooke McLaughlin, host of the Everyday Prayers Podcast, a ministry of million praying moms. And I'm here to invite you to partner with God for the hearts of your children on the daily. Our goal at Everyday Prayers is to help moms understand and pray God's word. Join us each weekday as we share insights from God's word for today's Christian mom. Tune in to the Everyday Prayers Podcast in your favorite app or by visiting lifeaudio.com.